The South Dakota Stories, Volume 1. She was a city girl, but always somewhere else in her head. Somewhere where bison roam, rivers flow, and people get their hiking boots dirty. Like, actually dirty. So one day she fled west and discovered this place of beauty, history, and a delicious taste of adventure. But before she knew it, she was driving away with memories to share and the hopes of returning. Because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. Listen, everybody got a back again. Don't take no mess out the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can strap it. How they win that game today. There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. You can find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, everywhere else you get podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review. I've got a great conversation coming up with Sarah Todd, who's a friend of mine who covers the jazz for the Deseret News and is the co-host of the Unsalvageable podcast, which is a podcast about the jazz. It's great, and I recommend checking it out. We'll get to that in a minute, but there's actually some hard Blazers news, a couple pieces of actual news that just came out this afternoon that I want to kind of get to and give you some thoughts at the top uh, before we get to that. So I think the more pressing one is the news today. We got it. We got a Gary Payton the second injury update. He's not quite ready yet. This is the quote. This is the press release that the team sent out a couple hours ago. Portland Trail Blazers guard Gary Payton the second continues to recover from an off-season procedure to address a core muscle injury. Throughout progressive levels of rehab and preparation to return to gameplay, Payton has experienced intermittent soreness. He will continue rehab in anticipation of returning to full practice and will be reevaluated in two weeks. So that's what the team said about him today, and that kind of lines up with what we had been hearing, that he was getting closer, he wasn't quite ready yet, and that it might be towards the end of November that he would be ready to play. Remember, initially, he had the surgery in July. And to my knowledge, this actually wasn't the first time he's had this surgery. And it was the same surgery. We've talked about this before, but it was the same surgery that Damian Lillard had last uh, January when he got shut down for the season. And also that Nasir Little had in May after he had already had the season-ending shoulder surgery. And, you know, shameless plug alert for those of you who are paid subscribers, that that big interview that I did with Nasir Little over the summer, he talked in pretty good detail about that surgery and recovering from that surgery and he actually kind of let slip that Gary Payton had that surgery which I didn't really register with me until the team announced it a couple months later but anyway originally when they announced it which was maybe a week before camp they said he would miss training camp and be ready for the start of the regular season and then just kind of gradually that got pushed back that got pushed back Every couple of weeks, we've gotten an update saying, you know, he'll be ready in two weeks. You know, he'll be reevaluated soon. That's just kind of been where that's at. And obviously, it's not great and not what you want that we're now a month into the season and he still hasn't been cleared to play or even from the sound of this press release resumed full contact yet. 
or you know, five on five scrimmaging, which is the last step that a player needs to get to before they are cleared to actually get on the court in NBA games from an injury. I don't think there's anything nefarious going on here. With that, just based on everything I've heard, it's just, you know, he's not quite ready yet. And the thing about a lot of these injuries, especially some of these ones that involve, you know, core muscles and involve surgeries, it's not a linear timeline just because it says, you know, when you have the surgery, it says the period is six to eight weeks. Bodies are different. Everybody just kind of recovers at their own pace. And so you can't really predict, like, just because most guys who have this injury recover in X amount of time, that doesn't mean that everybody who has this injury is going to recover in that same amount of time. Just like there are some guys who, you know, have a torn ACL and are back playing, you know, eight months after that. There are some guys who have a surgery like this that's supposed to be a six-week recovery, and now we're talking about it being a three- or four-month recovery at this point. So it's not great. And I think the other positive is that the Blazers are winning still. They're 10-5 and as I'm recording this. They have a game against Utah tomorrow before they go out on a four-game Midwest to East Coast road trip. So, you know, know, things are still kind of trending in the right direction. You know, you would like for them to have Gary Payton the second back soon, but it's going to take a little bit longer. And this timeline that they have right now is consistent with, what they've kind of been telling us and what I and others who have been talking to people in the organization have been saying and writing for a couple weeks or for more than longer than that, which is that it probably is going to be closer to Thanksgiving or maybe a little bit after that. He's actually going to be ready to play. They're being super, super cautious with him is basically what I'm saying. I don't think he's had any, you know, crazy setbacks. They say intermittent soreness. That's, that's normal for recovering from a, a, a surgery like this. And so I wouldn't be worried yet. If we get to like early to mid-December and now they're still saying, oh, he's going to be cleared in two weeks from now and he's not going to be ready till closer to Christmas, then I would start to worry a little bit. But for right now, this is all like within range of what they've said the timeline was going to be the whole time. So I wouldn't be too worried about it yet. The other piece of news that came out today, this was first reported by Woj, and then I confirmed it, and then it was announced by the team, is that they made a change with one of their two-way spots. They waived Olivier Saar, who made the roster out of training camp as a two-way guy, looked actually pretty good in the preseason, and then had a wrist injury and hasn't played yet, and I guess they thought that he wasn't really going to recover in time to be able to contribute, so they waived him. And they replaced him with the other open two-way spot with a player named Ibu Baji, who I will admit I didn't really know anything about before this news came out, but I've done some reading on him. He is from Senegal. He, you know, he's a center and he has a crazy wingspan. He's about seven feet tall and has a seven foot nine wingspan, which He's one of only two NBA players with a wingspan of seven foot nine or greater, and the other two are Mo Bamba and Taco Fall. And I, you know, the, he fits the archetype of the type of players, you know, just high upside. They obviously need size, they need front court depth. So it makes sense that, you know, somebody who may be raw, but, you know, has a lot of upside like this is somebody that they go to. And, you know, one thing that's helpful with kind of the Blazers' new front office and some of the hires that they've made is that we have pretty much a public record of what Mike Schmitz, who's now their assistant GM, 
thinks about any one of these guys. And so when this got announced earlier today, I did a little bit of Googling. And pretty quickly, I was able to find a pretty extensive scouting report that Mike Schmitz wrote about him in December of 2020 when he was still playing in Spain because he, he, you know, he came up through the NBA's developmental academy in Africa because he's from Senegal and they have like an African developmental league that they uh, bring guys up through the pipeline with. That's something that they NBA has put a lot of resources into in the last few years. So he came up through that, played professionally for a couple of teams in Spain for about three seasons, went undrafted this year, and he's been playing for the Wisconsin Herd, which is the Bucks G League affiliate. So I'm going to read a little bit of Mike Schmitz's scouting report from about two years ago for you guys, just to give a little bit of background, because, I'll again, I'll admit, I did not know anything about this guy until today. Standing six foot eleven and a half barefoot with a seven foot nine wingspan and elite feet for a player his size, Baji put a lid on the rim defensively for stretches, getting to shots few NBA centers could wipe away. His 3.2 blocks per 40 minutes wasn't indicative of his enormous impact around the rim. Baji is an ambidextrous shot blocker whose reach and quick leaping ability make him a force as a defensive anchor when he's fully engaged. He even showed glimpses of verticality technique that we hadn't always seen from him in the past. He's capable of stepping away from the rim defensively, too. His discipline and mechanics in pick-and-roll or switch situations need major work, but he has zero issue getting deep into a stance and staying with even the quickest guards. Overall, defensive discipline will be the focal point for Baji, but he has the type of versatility that NBA teams covet. It's easy to envision Baji playing a JaVale McGee, Mitchell Robinson, or Hassan Whiteside type of role in the NBA. That said, Baji struggles to catch the ball cleanly, make quick reads offensively, and play to his strengths. Although we shouldn't fault him for wanting to show off his improved mid-range stroke and post-game in his first competition away from Barcelona in some time, he made a handful of questionable decisions. His back-to-the-basket footwork can be rigid, and he isn't that comfortable operating in dribble handoffs. He doesn't always run the floor consistently either. But with a strong frame, incredible length, and elite run-and-jump athleticism, Baji could already hold his own in the NBA. Even with some of his shortcomings and his limited role in Barcelona, it's difficult to envision all 30 teams passing on him twice. So that's something that Mike Schmitz, who is now a part of the Blazers' front office and for many years was a draft analyst at ESPN, wrote about him two years ago, obviously, when he was still at ESPN. And it kind of tracks with the sorts of guys they've been targeting and going after with some of these end of the roster slash two-way spots. They want to take some of these raw prospects and develop them. And that was the plan with Olivier Saar before he got injured. That is currently the plan with John Butler Jr. I think we're going to start to see some of these guys go get some stints in the G League. Right now, Greg Brown III is down playing for the Ontario Clippers and is actually playing pretty well. And I think we're going to see more and more of that over the course of this season. The Blazers, by the way, still don't have a G League team, but I've heard that they're working on it and that that at some point in the next few years, once they can get it going logistically, that's probably something that's in the cards. I wouldn't say it's going to be too much longer before they have one. And I'm actually planning in a, a couple weeks from now, or actually about exactly a month from now, I'm going to be in Las Vegas for the G League showcase. So I may get to get more of a closer look at some of these guys that they have kind of at the end of the roster and maybe give you some insight from that. So that's something I'll be doing in about a month. But this is just, you know, a roster move that they made. I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact on the day-to-day roster, but it was a piece of news that 
came down today, so I figured I should address it here. And then now I just want to get to the conversation that I had with Sarah Todd, who's been a friend of mine for several years. And she's covered a few different NBA teams. She covered the Warriors at one point. She covered the Sixers at one point. She's currently covering the Jazz for the Deseret News, which is one of the papers down there. And she's been on the beat. I think this is her third or fourth season on the beat. She does a great job covering them. And she also has a podcast that she co-hosts called Unsalvageable which is a jazz podcast. It's pretty similar to kind of what I do on here. And her co-host, Greg Foster, is really, he's, he's kind of more of like just a fan. He, he's not in the media business, but you know it, it, they have a good dynamic. It's a fun podcast. I've listened to some episodes of it. It's, it's really good. And Sarah's great. And we get into not necessarily previewing the game that the Blazers and the Jazz are playing against each other tomorrow, because I don't really, I mean, I, you guys have probably noticed this by now. I don't really like doing game preview or game recap podcasts because first of all you can get that stuff other places with locked on and with jack ramsey's you don't need to also get that stuff from me so i kind of try to do a different thing and usually when there's a team that the blazers either are playing or have played that i think is interesting and that i think there's a worthwhile conversation to have that's kind of more what i like to do if you listen to the podcast i did with gerald borgay who covers the suns last week after the back-to-back that they played in phoenix this is kind of a similar conversation to that, but we kind of get into some other stuff too about you know different guys that we've covered over our careers and philosophical discussions about you know different team building dynamics and and some stuff. It's a it's a good conversation. I think it's fun. I think you guys will enjoy it. By the way, speaking of locked on and Mike Richmond, congrats to Mike and his wife who just had a baby very recently. You may, if you were watching the broadcast last night, Kevin Calabro actually broke the news on TV. So. I just wanted to give Mike a shout out here too, but other than that, let's get to this conversation with Sarah Todd. How you doing, Sarah? Not too bad, Sean. Uh, kind of, it's been a really heavy and brutal travel schedule for me to start uh-huh. the season, and so I had my first like two days in Utah this week. Uh, first two days of the season, like where I had one day where there was no game and no practice. It was the first time this season. And so I was just able to breathe yesterday. (laughs) And so you have a game, the the game tonight, they play Phoenix tonight, right? Yeah, they play Phoenix tonight. And and then at home or in Phoenix at home and then back to back in Portland. So the last time you and I saw each other was probably about six weeks ago for I think the second preseason game, you came up to Portland for it. And you and I were talking before, either before, you, you, you and I talked for a while, I think either before or after that game, I can't remember which. Right. But we were talking about how the team that you cover, obviously over the summer, they traded Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell for a million draft picks and just kind of <laughs> assorted role players. And everybody just assumed, probably yourself included, and I think you and I talked about this then, but that the idea here and that what Danny Ainge wanted to do was go after Victor Wembanyama, lose a bunch of games, trade all the remaining good players on the roster like Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson and whoever else, just get more draft picks, go you know, race to the bottom. And with the team that I cover, and they didn't look very good in that game against the Jazz, they lost that game and you know, they, you know, because you know they lost four out of their five preseason games, and people here were freaking out because they looked terrible in the preseason, <laughs> and. I was telling you that I think that the Blazers are probably a play-in team, but maybe not much better than that. 
as it as we sit here right now, we're about a month <laughs> into the season, and the Blazers and the Jazz have the two best records in the Western Conference. Yeah, exactly. It's a wild turn from what we both thought was a, was about to happen. And I don't think either one of them is a fluke necessarily is the thing like that. That's the part of it that's really crazy. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a large perception from the outside on what the jazz were doing. And a lot of people who would be like, oh, this was Danny Ainge's plan all along. Like he knew this team was going to be good. Like this isn't a tanking team. And like, I'm here to just say Danny Ainge did not know <laughs> that, <laughs> that Lowry Markinen was going to look like an all-star. And this team, this jazz team was not built to win. They just happened to be winning. The Jazz sent a huge front office contingent to Vegas to watch Victor Wimbanyama play Scoot Henderson. Uh, the Jazz front office members have plans to head to France later in the season to watch Victor. Like th- They fully intended on being a part of that race. And I think that at this point, I know it's only 10 wins that they have, but I think that at this point, the Jazz have actually played themselves out of that race. It might be too late. You know what this reminds me of, actually? Uh, The year, it's not quite the same thing because the Blazers at the time had a guy who was clearly the guy as far as like their future franchise guy and a young version of Dame at the time. And the Jazz don't really have that guy right now. But what this team kind of reminds me of just from afar is the 2015-16 Blazers. Because remember, that was the summer... LaMarcus Aldridge leaves in free agency. They trade Nicholas Batum. Wesley Matthews and Robin Lopez both leave as free agents. The plan that season was to tank. But Dame was just too good for them to tank, and they end up making the playoffs unexpectedly and actually winning a series against the Clippers, which was mostly because of luck, because Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were both hurt in that series, and they actually won a round in the playoffs. And then they haven't missed the playoffs since then until last year when they were actually tanking. So this this Jazz team kind of reminds me of that, where, like, they lose, you know, two All-Stars. You trade two All-Stars. You trade them for a bunch of draft picks. And then the guys that you get back in those trades, for the most part, and sign are young players who have never been, you know, the number one guy on a playoff team, or even, in a lot of cases, the number two guy on a playoff team. And you just think, okay, these guys are going to be bad. Like Colin Sexton is just going to get buckets on a team that wins 18 games and he's going to put up numbers and they're just going to kind of let him cook and they're going to lose a lot of games. And it just hasn't just, again, you obviously are around them every day. You watch them a lot more in depth than I have because you cover them every day. It feels like this is not just because, because at the beginning of the season, they go, they start off three and oh, or they started, you know, they win their first couple of games against teams we thought were going to be good. And, you know, Denver and uh, Minnesota, I think, were two. And of New the Orleans. First. New yeah. Orleans, yeah. So they win those games. And I think that it's going to be like, remember the first process Sixers year? Oh, the, I remember. My, the Michael Carter Williams year? Yeah. When they, opening night of the season, they beat the Heat. And this is when, like, LeBron and them were still in Miami. They start off that season 3 and 0. And people are like, oh, wait, are the tanking Sixers actually good? I totally thought that's what this jazz thing was going to be, where it's like, oh, cool, they start off three and zero, or they start off four and one, or or whatever. But yeah. they're gonna a month into the season, they're actually still good. It's crazy. Yeah, I think so. A few things here, like 
before the season started, like you look at kind of the collection of players, and it's not like those process year Sixers where it's like, you know, you had they had six, no NBA players on those right. teams. You got like six guys at least on the roster where it's like, wait, who? What's his name? Like right. you don't even know who they are. And with the Jazz, it's like Lowry Markinen, Kelly Olynyk, Colin Sexton, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson. Like these are all like legit NBA role players. And so even before the season started, it's like, oh, they might be too good right now to tank. But like, I I expected them to, you know, maybe play well early on and then like quickly try to get rid of some players or even have in the works some deals that would be made early in the season well before the trade deadline. Again, though, like at this point, that's that's kind of if you're expecting to have maybe like a five and nine record. Right. But at this point, like you have to sort of look at it in terms of what the wizards did last year, where they basically accidentally started the season 10 and three, and then they fell off the face of the earth, but like even falling off the face of the earth after a 10 and three start, they still got like 34 wins, something like that. And that only gets you like up to like the 10th pick. And so like, Tanking to try to get a generational player is getting Scoot or Victor. It's not, you don't tank to get the 10th pick, right? And so at this point, I really do think that they've played themselves out of that race because if you look like kind of at the bottom of the Western Conference, it's like, I think that the play-in is kind of their floor right now because they're, I think, objectively better than the Rockets, the Thunder, the Spurs and probably the Lakers unless the Lakers make some sort of big swing. Oh no, I think they're better than the Lakers no matter yeah. what the Lakers do. I <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's it's so wild to me that a team that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis and there's not even anybody that thinks that if they make a trade they can even become a play-in team. It's just crazy to me. Yeah. And so, I mean, objectively the Jazz are at the very least a play-in team and like you said, like, I don't think that it's a fluke that these guys are playing well together because they are legitimate NBA players. That being said, like, this is not a team that was built to win on the outset. And they're certainly not built for like playoff depth right now. Like, the inevitably, they'll come up against someone that is going to have like, a the guy like the dude that can take over a game and the jazz just don't have like the personnel to be able to stop someone like that and that's what we saw like the jazz are on a three-game losing streak right now going into friday's game and chris Dapps porzingis was too much uh they lost to the wizards and then joel Embiid had a career night scoring 59 points against them and they're just like not strong enough and not quite versatile enough to deal with kind of like the bigger, stronger threats in the NBA. And I think like that's what's going to catch up to them. But outside of like the, I mean, if we're talking about like Joel Embiid or even like Giannis, Jokic, like some of like the bigger, stronger threats that can play really like inside and out and score at three different levels. Outside of that, like this Jazz team can probably beat anyone. Well, also, nobody can guard those types of guys anyway. It's not like the exactly. Jazz are alone and not having, oh, you can't stop Joel Embiid, okay? You and 29 <laughs> yeah. other teams. And that being said, like, the Sixers, like, needed Joel Embiid to have an absolute career night to beat the Jazz. <laughs> so Right. What kind of feedback are you getting from Jazz fans who I'm sure you talk to and hear from all the time? I th- I'm assuming that a lot of the fans 
went into the season kind of knowing what it was and thinking, you know, we're going to be bad this year, but we're going to try to get Victor and we're going to let these young guys develop. And then they get on, you know, on this streak. Are there fans that still want them to pull the plug now and trade Conley and trade Jordan Clarkson and sh- make up an injury for Lowry Markkinen and shut him down to try to get back into the Victor sweepstakes? Or are most of the fans that you talk to or that you hear from at this point kind of just more along the lines of, you know, let's ride this out. Let's see how far these this group can go. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think most people have kind of given up on the Victor race. I think Jazz fans were very, very wary about that in the first place because the Jazz, I mean, the Jazz just like don't have great drafting luck. They have a really good like history of developing their own players, but they don't have like a ton of like history of drafting like really high, very well. Um, And they also aren't good in free agency. And so they always have to build from within. And so seeing that they had signed kind of a hot start a lot of jazz fans were like this is what we have let's do it like if things are good everything feels so much better right now than it did last season because the vibes were just so bad with the jazz that everyone's just like enjoying the ride if anything i think more jazz fans are leaning toward like sure like let's trade mike conley but like let's get a star player like let's go after someone not just for a bunch of picks exactly and so i think that's that's where people have leaned, but I think I've I've tried cautioning fans recently and trying to tell them like, listen, things are really good right now, but we are only 16 games into the season. Like, I think that writing it out and kind of letting this jazz team like breathe throughout the season, unless like a very good deal comes along for good or for bad, right? I think writing this team out this season is actually the jazz's best option. Absolutely. I think I think so too. I've I've long been I guess annoyed by this thought that I think, you know, a lot, you know, there were, you know, some of the front offices had, you know, a decade ago, and now it's just kind of seeped into a lot of fan bases where if you're not one of the three or four teams that's competing for a championship right now, you need to actively be tanking and trying to get the number one pick. And that that just seems like that's the way a lot of fans think just across the board and I can understand why that's the case because really for the last you know 10 years or so there's been a lot of media outlets who are kind of pushing that and honestly it's not even like the NBA is really discouraging that right now because even though Adam Silver is coming out and saying that he thinks tanking is a problem and it's concerning the league is still broadcasting all of Victor Wembanyama's French league games in their yeah. app. So it's like, yeah. hey, we're we're mad at teams for tanking, but hey, we want everybody to watch this guy that everybody's tanking to try to get in, in our app. So at the end of the day, it's still a business. Like they they want to make money and Victor's going to sell. So Right, 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 totally. So uh I but I've I've always been kind of a and especially, you know, the, the Blazers team that I covered last year after they, you know, shut Dame down with the ab injury traded CJ, traded all their other veterans, shut down Nurkic and Simons and all them. And they were, uh, you know, basically rolling out Elijah Hughes and uh, Kelgen Blevins, like in the, and CJ Ellaby in the starting lineup for multiple games, just like on purpose (laughs) and losing by 30. I had to, I I got some mailbag questions over the summer from fans. And I, I understand this. I'm not trying to say, oh, these fans are stupid for thinking this because I don't really like being, doing the whole, oh, these fans are stupid. They don't know as much as us media people thing. Like, I, that's not right. really what I do. But I got questions from fans for like various mailbag stuff that I did 
earnestly asking, is the move really to maybe they should do what Oklahoma City and Utah are doing and just trade Dame for a bunch of draft picks and go all in and, uh, you know, try to, you know, try to build that way. And what I was, was saying at the time was like, as a fan, did you enjoy the second half of last season when they were throwing out G leaguers and right. losing by 30? And do you want to sign up for multiple years of that? Because the idea of, oh, we're going to tank and we're going to get Victor or we're going to get uh, Chet Holmgren or we're going to get whoever the guy is that year, Cade Cunningham, whoever like the number one pick is that year that everybody's excited about. And I get that Victor is like a different level of like, this is the best prospect right. that's come into the league since LeBron, like even more so than Zion. Like I understand that like that's the dynamic this year, but it's like I've covered a lot of good teams like I covered some of those Bulls Tibbs teams you know with their with Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah I've covered some pretty good Portland teams like the one that made the conference finals I've covered some really bad teams in both of those places too and bad teams are not fun to cover and they're not I could imagine as a fan they're not really fun to watch either so does anybody think the Jazz are going to win a championship this year no but if I were a Jazz fan I would have a lot more fun watching this team that nobody expected to be good and, and actually ends up being better than people thought than watching these games every night rooting for the team to lose to maybe get a better draft pick to maybe be able to draft this French kid and then like oh Mike Conley who has been a good soldier through all of this stuff for three years or however long he's been in Utah we're just going to make up a fake injury and shut him down and prevent him from being able to continue his career too yeah and I don't I mean I just don't think that that's in like the Jazz's makeup to just shut down a guy like Mike. And honestly, like Mike has been so amenable to everything that the jazz have done and everything that they've asked him for. Like, I think that that's where he would kind of draw the line and he, he wouldn't go along with something like that. But I mean, to your point about uh, kind of looking at it from a trailblazers perspective, like, yeah, it was really hard to watch some of that stuff last season, but I think the difference for the jazz and why they traded away, like their stars was that, you know, Dame wasn't on the court. You didn't get to see like the person that could hold everything together be out right. there with that group. And the Jazz were watching Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and they still hated it. It was not fun to watch the guys that you had grown to love during this era of Jazz basketball. It was not fun to watch them anymore. Like it became a team that like win or loss, nothing felt good. And so I think that was the difference is that just it was clear that that team wasn't going anywhere and it wasn't happening. And and again, like it, it wasn't like they just it wasn't like a, a just trade day move. It was like trade away everything that could potentially get us assets. Right. Like they got rid of Donovan, Rudy. They got rid of Royce O'Neal and got a first round pick out of that. Boyan, like they traded away Boyan, who's like one of the most stable and consistent NBA players. And basically like flipped him for Kelly Olenek who, and that was a move for a future flip. Now Kelly Olenek's playing great. <laughs> like and It's like maybe it's, they, maybe they don't trade him. Like Jared Vanderbilt was another guy that like I got a lot of go like I here in Portland, you know, when when they made that trade when the Jazz did, you know got Jared Vanderbilt from uh Minnesota in the Gobert trade. That was a guy that I got a lot of, you know, emails and tweets about saying, hey, the Jazz are going to sell off all of their good NBA players at some point to get more picks. Do you think they could go after Jared Vanderbilt? And now it seems like he's probably a guy, a core piece that they've had that they're going to hold on to also. Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting test subject because the things that he offers and the things that he does well are often counterbalanced by things that he really does not do well. 
And so uh, I think that it's still early in his career to try and figure out exactly where he would fit in a team that where he where he's meant for longevity uh-huh. so i'm because i'm not really sure that like the offensive rebounding and the tips make up for the fact that like he really can't finish and like some of the defensive versatility also doesn't make up for the fact that like he that he lacks a lot of strength and so i'm still kind of getting used to jared vanderbilt and trying to figure out whether or not if he's actually good <laughs> and so uh that's that's a question that's still in my mind but I mean, the biggest thing right now for the Jazz, like the way that I see kind of looking at the rest of the season is like, if this is going to be a good Jazz team and you do have players on this team that you think are going to be part of the core, whether that's Vanderbilt, obviously I think that Lowry Markkinen and Colin Sexton are a part of the Jazz's like future plans. Rookie Walker Kessler, they really want to keep him around. There are pieces on this team that they want for the future. And so I think that the kind of ride it out, let them play it out, see how much noise they can make if they can get into the playoffs. If nothing else happens, at least they'll have like a solid data set where they can be like, okay, here are the areas where we need to kind of massage things and upgrade. If you react right now, like it is way too early to know like what areas need massaging because these these guys don't even have chemistry together yet. Like we have to remember that this wasn't just a case of where like oh, they have a few new players, but kind of the core of the jazz have played together for a while. Like, you had 14 guys who had either never played together or had ne- like don't even know each other on this team with a brand new head coach. Nobody knows each other. It's basically Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson. They know each other. And so it's just a, a lot of newness that I think needs time. Well, to your point, I, I agree with you. I think that it's more valuable when you have young guys that you see as part of your future and as, as some people that you want to keep around long term. To me, it's more useful and beneficial to let them go out there and try to win. And they're probably not going to win as many games as other teams because they just don't have the talent level. But I haven't liked what Oklahoma city did, for example, the last couple of years, like shutting down Shea Gilgis Alexander, or like trying to lose games. Cause like losing games, like I've been around teams that are losing even whether on purpose or accidentally and losing games, like teaches you bad habits, especially if you have a lot of young players. And I think that, like I talked to uh, you know, one one of the Bulls teams that I covered a few years ago had a couple of the Sixers process guys on them, and that was you know Michael Carter Williams and uh, Isaiah Cannon. And I remember talking to both of them about just being on that team, knowing that every single game going in that they were going to lose because they didn't have the talent, and they were just a they were miserable, and b they developed bad habits that set their careers back later on when they were trying to actually get on good teams and stick around and. I don't. I, I don't know. I think. I think even if you know you you don't maximize your draft pick, which was clearly the plan for the Jazz going into the season, I do think ultimately it's more beneficial to your, you know, especially that you know the Jazz have a new owner, they have a new coach, they're trying to quote unquote establish a culture, which is a cliche that you know everybody uses, but they're you know that's kind of where they are right now. You don't want to start off on the wrong foot of like. Our, we're going to, you know, our first year, you know, building this team and building this culture, we now, you know, we're going to start off trying to lose games. Like that's, I, I think that's kind of toxic at some point. Building bad habits is part of it. I think that that can be countered with like good staff and sort of like, you know, guys that are morale builders. I think that that can be counteracted a little bit. But the bigger point, 
I think that you make is that guys are miserable. That counts for so much. It really does count for more than I think people give it like give credence to because the mood of a team, the mood of any player, if you're coming off a situation where like your life has been dictated by NBA front office executives, like they have created a situation around you where they have said you can't win because we're going to make it so you can't win. It is hard to bounce back from that. Like it is hard to mentally bounce back because I've talked to some of those, you know, Sixers process era guys too, or even some of the guys on the, the Warriors team that I covered before they won their first title, like losing so much can really put you in a place where like you don't believe you can win even if you start to get the talent on your team. What is it about Will Hardy that's made him so effective right away is because he's he's you he, he I think he I think you and I are about the same age he's like around our age too and you don't see a coach that's that young first of all you don't really see that many head coaches get hired who are that young anyway in the first place let alone be this effective right away like what has it been about him that's made that you know made him so successful right out of the gate yeah, I'm I'm 35 and I'm older than Will Hardy. So yeah, that's, I'm 33. That's, so he's like right in the <laughs> right in the middle yeah, between us. That's a that's a new experience for me to you know walk into the gym and know that I'm older than the NBA head coach that I'm covering. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very weird experience, but I think that he's been kind of blatantly and bluntly honest with this team, uh-huh. and that they have appreciated that. Like he didn't go in blowing smoke at all. He didn't walk into locker room and he didn't say like look guys like you know we've got the talent like we can beat anyone he like went in and he was like we don't have the talent we don't have the guys that everybody else has and so we're gonna have to play together more than anyone else like we're gonna have to work harder than other people and so like he just outlined it like you know what like you guys are all gonna be taking on different roles than you've had i'm gonna need a lot of your help i'm gonna need you guys to really buy into what i'm selling and they like everyone looked around and like you got to imagine being a guy being guys like Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, even Larry Markinen. Like you look around and you got to think like either we're going to do well if we all kind of do this together or some of us are going to get out of here. They're going to be trading someone, but we're only going to like get traded to a good team if we play well. And so like there's kind of this unspoken thing. We're like, they all know that the best way out of this, whether it's staying in Utah or getting out, is if they do well. And so they've bought into like, you know, having like a 90% assist to, you know, field goal made ratio. And like, they have bought into the fact that like, you know, Colin Sexton is going to need to average more assists than he has in his entire life. Jordan Clarkson is averaging a career high in assists. Like he's becoming a different player because like he knows it's not going to work here if he doesn't. So guys are totally willing to change their games and to try to like kind of put their minor egos aside because they know that they don't have a cho- like a choice. There's no one here that's going to save this team. That's interesting that guys are buying into this with will hardy so readily because a lot of the stuff that you're describing about him as far as just being honest and holding people accountable and not sugarcoating stuff and being willing to be critical and be honest that sounds a lot like what guys are saying here in portland about chauncey billups who oh, has interesting gotten a lot of positive you know reviews and a lot of you know positive uh you know feedback about his coaching style now that he has a team of guys that fit his style but the thing is 
Chauncey Billups, A, is a former player, which Will Hardy is not. B, is a very good and respected and high-level former player who was a finals MVP and had like an A17 or 18-year career or however long it was and was an all-star multiple times and was on championship teams and was a known guy. And so he can come in and, you know, be honest with people and call people out in film sessions and, you know, say, hey, we need to do this better. And people are going to respect it because he is who he is. Whereas Will Hardy is, A, a lot younger than, as you mentioned, some of the veterans on the team and B, not a former player, you know, ha- you know, not doesn't have a, like 20 years of experience as a head coach where he's seen everything. I know he comes from some good organizations like the Spurs and the Celtics and stuff like that, but the dynamic and like the respect that he commands just by being who he is, is a little bit of a different thing and not to the level that somebody like Chauncey Billups or somebody with that pedigree is. So it's interesting to hear you say that they've embraced it and bought into it right away. Yeah. I think some of that is, I, I think people will forget that like, so Will Hardy's uh, at least a former college player. And so it's not right. like he comes in without like playing experience. He is a guy that like can get on the court and like work with these guys. Right. And he's very hands-on. And so there's a little bit of that, but also like, this is a guy who he started with the Spurs when he was like 21. And so he spent a lot of time around Greg Popovich and it was very very quickly that Greg brought him up like through like the video coordinator ranks and then put him on the coaching bench and when I was talking to Greg Popovich about Will Hardy it was like how does this happen you know because like we don't see guys rise to the ranks as quickly and like what is it about him that like gets him working with players so well and Greg said it was it was apparent early on that he had like a unique ability to gain the trust of players. Like, and that's, that's like without a doubt, one of the reasons that pop put him on the bench so quickly. And he was like, if he hadn't been able to earn the respect of the players, the way that he did, like it would have taken a long time. And so then, you know, you've got players that are seeing a guy in his twenties, you know, go out to dinners and spend so much time with pop and he's drinking wine with pop on the road. And so I think that like, early on players at least in the Spurs organization saw that there was respect coming from pop for someone so young and then like that year that he spent in Boston on Ime Udoka's coaching staff right away like he was able to gain the trust of someone like Jason Tatum very young but also Al Horford older than him and so it is a unique ability that Will Hardy has I've yet to narrow down or like put my finger on exactly what it is but he has what we're working on now is like 14 year history of weirdly being able to gain respect of NBA players. And as you said, high level NBA, like, like he was on, he was on the Spurs staff when it was like Tim Duncan and Manu and and those guys who have, you know, have been around the best of the best and won at the highest levels. And so you, do you think, you know, for some of these younger guys, you know, they look at it and say, well, you know, if Tim Duncan and Jason Tatum and Kawhi Leonard all respected this guy, like, you know, yep. I got to buy into this too. Yeah. And I think, and I think that really is part of it is that people see kind of the pedigree and what he's come from. And they're like, I mean, if he's an NBA coach at 34, he's doing something right. So let's do it. Did you have any idea that Lowry Markinen was this good? Honestly, I, I had an inkling. Because there was a moment when I was covering the Sixers, and I think that it was Lowry's second year, 
and he was in Chicago. With the Bulls. Yeah, and there was like a Was this little... the Jim Boylan? The, 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 when, was this when Jim Boylan? Was this after they fired? Because I was off the beat by then, so I got my timelines a little bit mixed up. Was this after... Uh... I'm not sure because it was... It was pre. It was right before the All Star break because they were announcing All Star Reserve. So I'm okay, not sure so where I think that they falls. Had, they had they had fired Hoiberg by then. Yeah, Jim Boylan yeah. was. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of All Star buzz as a reserve for Larry Markkinen. And I remember the Bulls were in Philly to play the Sixers, and I was there was I was kind of like zooming around the arena because we were going to get the announcement. And I was like, I wonder if this kid is going to make it like because he's really, really good. And I thought there was a chance. And of course, he didn't make it. And of course, I looked stupid back then for thinking that that was a thing. Right. But I remember at the time thinking like, man, this guy is so much better than giving like people are giving credit for. Fast forward to now, that seems like an, a decade ago. But <laughs> Larry Markkinen's only 25 years old. Like it is wild to actually like think that he's only 25 so like he hasn't really even like touched his ceiling i think and then you know i have probably hadn't thought about that in a couple of years but then over the summer watching what he was doing with finland it was like oh this guy is way more than just like a spot-up shooter or a dunker like it was clear that he had more in his bag uh playing euro basket and so it was nice for him to come to the jazz and honestly will hardy like straight up told him like i watched euro basket Let's build on it. Like, I'm going to unlock you and just kind of let you go. And Lowry is taking that by the horns. He's probably going to be an all-star this yeah. year. Or yeah. which, and especially like, like in, like in the, usually when somebody is an all-star who's like, hasn't, you know, proven it or whatever, that usually happens in the East. In the East. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like now it's like in the, in the West, like I was going through the list of, I mean, it's way too early to be talking about the all-star game and who knows what the Jazz's record is going to be by January or February when they start actually doing that. But I've been going through that because there's starting to be like a building thing here locally that maybe Jeremy Grant is going to be an all-star that like like that's something people are talking about here and mm -hmm. so i was going through the front court players in the west that are gonna have to be in there and there are like the obvious names like you know Jokic and paul george and you know probably lebron even though i'm not sure if that's right. you know but but he's still lebron he's still gonna get a spot you know whatever but like lowry's right in there and honestly i think he probably could win most improved player too even though you know, just because that that's such a weird award because it's like I thought he was pretty good in Cleveland last year. It was just kind of an awkward fit with Mobley and Garland and playing three big guys. But that's such a weird award because it's usually a guy who was already pretty good, but he just has a bigger role now. And that kind of fits. Exactly. And it's such a it's such like a good story. And it's like, honestly, the two teams that you and I cover have been the two stories that are like being covered nationally now as nobody thought these two teams were going to do anything. And now they're doing like. It's it's just kind of wild to see just, you know, how how all this has unfolded through the first month of the season. Yeah, it's very funny. I mean, I think that I think the Jazz have like one or two NBA TV games this season, but they have absolutely no like national broadcast. They have zero ESPN, zero TNT. They have no national games. And so it's very funny because like to be at the top of the Western Conference and to consistently every night like be a part of the national conversation every national podcast every national writer i go into any arena on the road and everyone's asking me like what's going on like this is crazy like the start and it's like yeah but no one's seeing it <laughs> like, <laughs> well right no, no the, Bla the blazers also have like 
they had an ESPN game already. I think they have one more ESPN game coming up and one TNT game. And I think the only reason that they have more national TV games than the Jazz is because they have Dame and that's a exactly. guy that yeah. like, casual fans know about. I'll bet both of the teams are going to, you know, what, once football is over and AB, and like ABC and ESPN and TNT can start flexing some of those games out, I'll bet some of those Laker games get get flexed out especially oh, absolutely if, you know, i think people are sick of watching like lakers magic on espn a people are sick of the lakers and b like i wouldn't be surprised if you know let's say lebron passes kareem's scoring record in january they might just shut him down after that because like there's no point right i mean and i'm thinking kind of from the jazz perspective like if Lowry actually does continue to kind of make a case for himself for the All-Star game, the All-Star game is in Utah this year. And wasn't one of the things, like, I, I feel like all throughout last year when there was all the speculation about, like, oh, do Rudy and Donovan not like each other? Do they, uh, you know, are they going to break them up? Are they going to trade one? Are they going to trade both? One of the things that I read was that Ryan Smith, the new owner of the Jazz, didn't want to make a trade involving either of those two guys until after the all-star game because he wanted there to be at least one jazz player representing he literally he literally said he wanted donovan mitchell to be the mayor of salt lake city during all-star break <laughs> so the, <laughs> now it turns it turns out they might have an all-star even after trading those guys i know thought? and so i mean i think at least as we're like heading towards february like it, it seems hard that they're not going to give at least some national attention to the jazz because you know they want to that needs to be kind of a that's that's a business prospect at that point that you need to sell everybody on who might be the all-star from the jazz yeah and honestly i feel like people are more open to it nationally now i i I feel like it you know you you were there and you have more of a pulse on the fan base than i do but i feel like over the last few years there was a lot of annoyance from jazz fans that they weren't getting more respect when yeah. they were the one seed or you know they had two guys in the all-star game and rudy was winning defensive player of the year i feel like there's less you know when when people are saying now with you know with this team why is nobody talking about the jazz i feel like people are less annoyed by it because it doesn't seem like the guys on the team like are you know as desperate for the attention if that if that makes sense like it's just like does that does that make sense to you that's just kind of a thought yeah thing. no i mean uh, the guys on the team like could care less because again none of these guys are like the level of star that would ever be worried about that like none of these guys have done like walk off tnt interviews right like or, or like openly campaigning to make the all-star game or like say like when he yeah. did, when rudy gobert wasn't named an all-star he was like this is sending a message to kids that defense doesn't matter or like Donovan exactly. Mitchell wearing this was a little I think this was before you got to Utah but like when Donovan Mitchell was uh going for rookie of the oh, year going for rookie of the year and wearing yeah. the hoodie that has the dictionary definitely like there's 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 less like I always thought that kind of stuff was lame it's like like come on man like act like you've been there before a little bit with some of that stuff and it doesn't feel like there's any of that with this like team this it year seems like we've it's just had like, <laughs> we've had Malik Beasley saying that Lowry Markkinen should be an all-star player and your most casual of NBA fan probably doesn't know who Malik Beasley and Larry Markinot are. <laughs> so, like, that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with. There was this great, I was, like, a little earlier today, maybe, like, an hour ago before I jumped on with you, I was listening to the most recent episode of your podcast, Unsalvageable, which, by the way, 
Apple, Spotify, go subscribe to that as well if you are interested in listening to podcasts about the Utah Jazz. And your co-host, Greg, had this great line where he called the current Jazz team an armada of scorned exes. Yeah, yeah, I, know, I was just I loved dying it. at that. That's so yeah. good. Yeah, and and to Greg's point, hell hath no fury like an NBA <laughs> team full of scorned exes. <laughs> well, because like if you look up like all of these guys, like Malik Beasley was like the odd man out in Denver when they had like the salary crunch, and then he gets traded to Minnesota and doesn't really find a, a role there. Like Mark, and then as soon as as soon as they want Rudy Gobert, they're like, oh, get rid of Malik Beasley. The same with Jared Vanderbilt, right? Yeah. Like the same thing, like like. Markinen when he was with the Bulls, like I think that deal. Yeah, I, actually, yeah, I know it did because that deal, like Portland, was part of that deal because it was the three team trade that got them Larry Nance from Cleveland. Yeah. But like that was like a late August, early September trade where Lowry, you know, is a restricted free agent with the Bulls, is like like dangling out there. Nobody's signing him. They finally do the sign and trade, and then even in Cleveland, he gets plugged in with. Jared Allen, who they had just gotten in the James Harden trade, and Evan Mobley, who was the number three overall pick and is like clearly the face of the franchise. So he's kind of like the odd guy out there. They're playing some of these mm-hmm. like goofy three big lineups. And so he doesn't really fit in there. And then like Walker Kessler, a first round pick this year, gets <laughs> traded and like, you know, people, you know, and, and he's probably thinking, wait, you guys like me enough to draft me in the first round and then you're just going to trade me before I've played a single NBA game? Okay. Like, so that. <laughs> Yeah, Walker Kessler got to Minnesota, spent two days there. Everyone was like, you know, praising him and saying, we're so excited, we're so excited, we're so excited. And he got traded and he was like, oh, like, I guess you guys weren't as excited as you said you were. I mean, even you go down. He's good, like, by the way. He's very, he's very good. And like, you know, the, selfishly as a reporter, we we enjoy guys who are good interviews. He's maybe one of the best interviews I've ever had. Uh, he's just an absolute great quote all of the time uh we asked him the other day like you know 16 games in what have your kind of welcome to the nba moments been like and he's like well i don't know if you guys have been watching the games but guys are trying to baptize me and they're being successful (laughs) 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 and he's just he's a lot of fun he told a story the other day about how he played soccer in seventh grade because his mom thought he was getting too serious about basketball and he he was awful. He played goalie and he had 37 saves in one game. And we we're like, oh my God, that doesn't sound like you're awful. And he's like, no, we lost 10 to zero. <laughs> he had 37 <laughs> saves, but they had 47 shots. Yeah, right? 47 shots on goal. <laughs> and, then, and then at that point was his was his mom. Did his mom like watch that one game and was like, okay, you can play basketball now. <laughs> yeah, he said that he went to Why the whole season. Why didn't she want him to play basketball? Like, like that's the like part of the story that's that's interesting to me. Right, too. I know. That's what I, I, I asked him. I was like, well, joke's on mom, right? And he was like, yeah, seriously. He's like, no, I, I played the whole year. And she just like wanted she wanted him to kind of she thought that, you know, seventh grade, he was getting like too obsessive, she uh-huh. thought. And so she kind of wanted him to just like have a little fun. And so she put him on the soccer team where their team scored two goals all season. And so they were horrible. They had the worst record in their league. And then and then it was like, well, then he can come back to basketball and be like a little bit more humble, at least. So But was he was was he here's the other part of that that I want to know. Uh was he when he that game when he gave up ten goals? Was he just terrible, or was he like doing it on purpose to show his mom like, hey, you should oh, just no. let me go back to playing basketball? No, he was admittedly terrible. He's like, no, I was so bad. He was like, I was a goalie who like couldn't use my feet. My hand foot coordination was <laughs> awful. And he was like, he's like, I also like didn't understand the game. At one point, he said that his team was kicking a corner kick on the other side. He left the goal and ran down to the other side to try to get a header on the corner kick. And then when he missed the header very badly, 
he ended up in a foot race back to his own goal against the other team and they scored and he was like yeah i just wasn't there <laughs> he just didn't even like know the rules of the sport that he, <laughs> yeah. did you ever do you uh do you, you remember larry walker right who played for the rockies in the 90s oh yeah, yeah yeah have you ever heard the story about like he because he kind of like because he's canadian and he kind of came to baseball late in his development also and the first time he was playing i don't even think it was like at the little league level i think i read this like 20 years ago when i was a kid and i was reading about him in sports the only thing i remember about larry walker is i think his mullet and his mustache (laughs) well right yeah but i just remember reading this story that he was like either in high school or like drafted and playing like low a minor league ball but the first time he was up to bat he put the ball in play and ran and started running down the third baseline. <laughs> Which sound that just I, that just for whatever reason I haven't thought about that in, you know, 10, 20 uh, 25 years excellent. or whatever, but that just popped into my mind when you talked about Walker Kessler as a kid not even knowing the rules of soccer when his mom made him play it and then he ends up in the, in the NBA. He was like he said that, you know, they got like, you know, 47 shots on goal and stuff and it was like, what do you say to your team after that? And he was like, well, he's like, oh, what can you say? And he's like, actually, I remember I was really competitive. And so I did want to say something, but I didn't know any of the terms to say anything to anyone. And so I just said, <laughs> so I was just like, you guys got to play some defense. I'm getting killed out here. <laughs> <laughs> so he so he basically did the, the Kevin Durant interview from the other day where he's like, you know, you can't expect me to win with Nick Claxton <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, yeah. and whoever. Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal. Joe Harris. Ja- jazz yeah. legend Royce O'Neal. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you got a triple double last night and a game yeah. winner. That was that was a pretty crazy game. That was a yeah, that was a bad. fun one to be at. By the way, Ben Simmons might be back. Or at least on the way back. I don't know. He looked he looked good last night. He looked you know, he was finishing around the rim. He was playing he was he was bothering Dame defensively. I will believe it when I see it. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I hear you, but just <laughs> at least for one night he looked like something close to actual Ben Simmons. I, I, I forget, did Shaden Sharp do anything in the preseason game? I know he played, but did No, did he... there wasn't I mean yeah. he was not what he is now, certainly. No. I'm excited for you to actually see him in person. I'm so that's honestly tomorrow. the thing that I'm looking forward to the most is watching Shaden Sharp up close. That's the thing that I'm the most excited about with any of these Blazer games. Like I've I've seen <laughs> yeah. Dane go off a million times. Like we've starting to see that's this regularly hat. with Jeremy Grant. Like <laughs> I just like I'm just like whenever whenever one of these games starts, I'm just like, you know, counting down until whenever Chauncey, you know, middle of the first quarter starts to put Shaden Sharp in. Then I'm just totally locked in. And last night, the Nets game, uh, my buddy, I'm sure, you know, Nick Friedel. Yeah. From ESPN. uh, He was at the game and he was sitting behind me on press row and. And, you know, he, he's been so locked in on, you know, covering the Nets. And I don't know if you knew this, but they have kind of a lot of dysfunction and stuff. Oh, yeah. It's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> right now. So yeah. he's been so, like, underwater, like, with his, you know, laser focus on that, that he I hasn't know. really seen Sharp at all. And then, you know, every couple of minutes while he was on the floor, Nick would just turn to me and we would just give each other this look. And he was just like, I, I had no idea. Yeah. I love that's that's one of my favorite parts, honestly. Sean about the game is like any any team that I'm watching on any given night watch seeing like one of the young developing players Uh just like kind of stand out it's one of my favorite parts about watching basketball like the other night watching the Jazz play the Knicks Jericho Sims is so much fun and I I mean the guy got eight offensive rebounds off the bench in Uh in like a matter of I think once I looked down it was like 15 minutes he had eight offensive boards and 
he was just a lot of fun. I love watching fun young players that make me because like sometimes we can get bogged down, I think, as reporters and like the the same day to day stuff. And like, yeah, Dame is exciting. But when you're around it every year, every day, all the time, you just kind of you, you become a little jaded. And uh-huh. it's these young players like Shaden Sharp who kind of reignite you and remind you that this is really fun. Have you guys gotten the Spurs yet? No, no, we had them in the preseason, but we haven't had this again. This Jeremy first, Sohan no. is awesome. I can't. I he's a lot of fun. He is so much fun to watch. Another one that I'm really looking forward to. I can't wait to see uh, Ben Matherin, the Pacers. Oh yeah, that I'm really looking forward to. I also am hoping that we get to see Keegan Murray when they play the Kings. Like uh, I, a lot of really fun young. Players. This rookie class is really, really, and obviously Paolo is like incredible. Right. Uh, it's a. This is a. I mean, I keep saying this word, but it's a really fun rookie class. It is. So I will, you know, you, you've got a game to cover tonight against the Suns. I will see you tomorrow in Portland. Tell everybody where they can, you know, the, the podcast and then also the, you know, the work that you do for Deseret News. Just like t- tell everybody where to find your stuff and social media and all of that. Uh, you can find me on all the socials, whichever ones live through this week uh, at at NBA Sarah, that's where I am everywhere. Uh, you can listen to the podcast. It's unsalvageable. We're available all, wherever podcasts are available. And you can find that information uh, on our Twitter feeds also. And you can read any of my stuff at Deseret.com. Was unsalvageable based? I, I, I'm i pretty sure I know this, but it was was that based on like reports about like the d- relationship between. Randy yeah, there Gobert was and- there was a there was a an athletic article that said that the relationship between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell was unsalvageable. And uh, it just became like they were making fun of it. Yeah. Like, I mean, Joe Ingles, especially like almost every time we would talk to him, we're like, Oh yeah. Is it unsalvageable? Now we got the number one record in the league. Are we unsalvageable? And so it just became like too good of a name to pass up. And no, that's a great name. Like naming a podcast (laughs) is hard. Like, yeah, it really is hard. You don't want to just like, if you're, if you're, you know, doing an NBA podcast, like you have to go through like basketball terms and figure out which one is used, which one, like the mid range jump shot. That is my podcast name. Like nobody, like no, nobody's trying to listen to that. No, that's, that's a, that's a fantastic name. And it's also really funny that that became something that they were making fun of as like, Oh, people think we're unsalvageable. And you know, turns out it kind of was. It's incredible SEO too, because anytime anyone's talking about that jazz team, that that name pops up, and then hi, here we are. And then that's <laughs> is that leading to like you know you guys finding new uh, exactly new listeners. <laughs> all right, well you well you're well you're doing great stuff, both you know covering the team for the paper and also on the podcast. So uh, th- thanks again for doing this. Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll talk again down the road. 